Welcome to Vet Talk with Royal Canin, where we address an array of topics relevant to veterinarians and veterinary clinics. I'm Brandi Andreessen, Chief Strategy Officer at Stevens & Associates and your host for this conversation. Equity, inclusion, and diversity have been hot topics, especially over the past year, and the direct tie to the veterinary industry is really critical. So in today's episode of Vet Talk with Royal Canin, we are going to discuss what it means to be inclusive and diverse in veterinary medicine, the trends in the industry, and perhaps most importantly, why this conversation matters currently and for the future of the industry. Our guests today are Dr. Lisa Greenhill, Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity for the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. And also joining us is Dr. Laura Pletz, Scientific Services Manager for the Eastern US of Royal Canaan. Laura, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So we're gonna start this conversation with you, Lisa. You're very present in the profession and your role at AAVMC is clearly centered on equity, inclusion, diversity. How did you become so passionate about the topic? Tell us a little bit about your background and your journey to this place. Sure, so uh, I'm not a veterinarian for folks that don't know that. Um, my background is in, in health policy and education. Um, and I've worked with AAVMC off and on since the mid 90s and very early on, certainly as um, a young person kind of getting to hang around the profession, I was staffing uh, AAVMC's multicultural committee at the time. And, uh, you know, over the years, um, increased interest in diversity just kept coming and coming. And, and there was a, a real recognition that this is an area that um, we don't talk about enough in the profession and one that really does need, you know, some direct attention. And so uh, by the early 2000s, the executive director, Larry Hyder, um, decided that they really wanted, uh, AAVMC wanted to invest um, in the creation of a full-time position devoted to diversity. And I was recruited back to the association. And, you know, it really at the time and continues to be a bit of my dream job um, to really be able to affect change that is meaningful and visible and concrete in a profession that I'm really privileged to just kind of get a chance to hang around. Um, and so this is something certainly that's personally, pers um, you know, important to me as an African-American woman and uh, a woman now of a certain age, as I tell people, I'm like, I've kind of tipped over into, you know, areas where I'm thinking a little bit more about ageism than, than the ways that I probably did before. And, um, and so I bring a lot of that that um, realism and that kind of experience to the position as well. And I talk really openly about my own um, personal experiences with um, diversity and inclusion and kind of what it feels like and, and what the lived experience is like as a person of color kind of hanging around in the profession. And uh, here I am, that's kind of what brought me to where we are right now and to this moment in the profession. And, and it's really, like I said, it's a privilege to be able to, to hang around and, and hopefully contribute something meaningful to the future of the profession. That's great. I mean, so compare and contrast here. So Laura, you're equally passionate about the subject, but have a very different background and story than Lisa does. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I am a veterinarian and I think for me, it all started with a passion around women and their challenges in the workplace, no matter where that be. You know, I saw my mom um, in a very small town working towards, you know, being 
in leadership in the school. And it just, it was difficult, you know, but she was so talented and I watched that. Um, and then my first, my first foray into the real world of veterinary medicine, as I'm graduating, someone tells me, you can come work here on your last free block, but I'm not hiring anymore female vets. And, you know, that kind of was a big shocker for me. And that led me to, you know, seek out one of the very few female practice owners in the St. Louis area. And that's where I worked for 11 years before I left to move to industry. But, you know, all of those experiences really let me know that that's something that's an important issue. And then when I started um, being active in that space with the Women's Veterinary Leadership Development Initiative and our uh, Royal Canaan Women's Leadership Forum, I quickly found out that you can't just talk about just the issue for women. There's so many intersectionalities, so many different experiences within that, that that's why it needs to be this larger conversation about all of us and all of our different experiences in this profession. So let's talk a little bit now about what is equity, inclusion, and diversity? How do we define that? So Lisa, I'd love to have you dive into trying to pick that one apart for a moment. Sure. So I'm going to jump around and change the order a bit. So diversity is really kind of what we mean by that word is all of the different attributes that we as individuals have. So that is gender or biological sex versus gender um, identity. It can be um, your race. It can be how high, how tall you are, how short you are. all these different kinds of personal dimensions that make us who we are, right? And and recognizing that each of us, what while we may have various kinds of shared experiences, those experiences are going to be a bit unique for each person based on the collection of uh, dimensions that they may have, right? So that's diversity. Um, so when we talk about inclusion, Um, what we mean is we take those kind of dimensions and we have a framework that says we value each of these things, right? That this individual is bringing. This person can bring their entire being into this space. They're not expected to be closeted. They're not expected to say, okay, well, you know, we just don't talk about that here. Or we just, we don't do religion here, or we don't do this here, right? Um, it, It really creates space, for folks to be um, their whole selves in in an environment. Um, And so kind of that's the nutshell. Equity is um, something I think a lot of people struggle with because they um, blend it or kind of mistake it for equality. And they're not the same thing. So equality is when everyone gets the exact same thing, right? So, you know, if you've ever had kids or you are around kids and you give one kid a piece of a stick of gum, um, the other kids are like, yo, where's my, where's my gum? Like, how come they got a piece of gum and I didn't get a piece of gum, right? And so everybody gets a piece of gum. Equity um, is really about giving folks what they need to bring them to equal status, right? And so, um, so say you have five kids and three kids have a piece of gum. Two kids don't have gum. They don't have gum. Um, equity is really about the process of identifying that difference and making sure that those two kids get gum so that everybody, all five of them have exactly what they need to enjoy 
you know, um, the, the gum, right? <laughs> Enjoy their jaw issues that they'll be, their parents will be paying for later. Um, and so really it is um, that difference of recognizing that different people and for lots of different reasons, it's not just because of marginalization, but lots of folks um, may not kind of come to this, uh, come to the profession from the same type of background. And so we recognize that folks are bringing these different kinds of experiences, bringing these different um, diversity dimensions, but there may be some gaps. And that's not, um, their, it's not their fault. It's not because of a lack of interest. It's not because of whatever. It really is potentially usually about a lack of opportunity. And so we are trying to find ways of bridging that gap to bring them up to equal status, recognizing um, that, that that difference that, that exists is really really um, not a healthy thing. That is like one of the best definitions and explanations I think I have ever heard. It breaks it down in such simple terms. So thank you, Lisa, for, for truly breaking that down for us. And I want to, I want to break it down just a tad bit more and go into then the idea of diversity and the inclusion part and how those two interconnect how, 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 how do we break that down and make it really simple for people like me? Okay, so inclusion is about process, right? Diversity is just, these are, these are just things that we have. Um, these are just the dimensions and the individuals that we are and all of those things that make us who we are. Um, inclusion is really about the process where we look at um, policy making, we look at rules of engagement, we look at how we engage with one another, and we find ways to make sure that nobody's kind of left behind and left out of a conversation, right? And so um, so it's not, it's, it's not necessarily a simple thing to create an inclusive environment. Um, it takes a lot of intention initially to really kind of say, hey, are there things, uh, you know, Laura mentioned earlier about, um, you know, the, the, the um, practitioner who said, yeah, sure, you can come in and work on that block, that free block, but I'm not hiring um, any more women for this practice my mind immediately goes to, if that is the attitude, um, then I'm starting to think about, well, what is life like for the women in that practice? If you're like, oh, we got three, that's enough, <laughs> right? If you're counting <laughs> how many you have and you're like, no, no, that's enough. I start actually wondering what the lived experiences are of the individuals who are in that space. Because that to me tells me that potentially there are some inclusion issues, right? There may not be um, really good family um, leave time. There may not be a consideration that, you know, when we want to have more women in the workplace, that is going to also necessitate some conversations about scheduling and it's going to necessitate conversations about um, healthcare coverage and leave time and all of those kinds of things that come with women being in workplaces. Um, and, and when we say, no, no, we, we're, we're done, that means to me that that's not something that those folks necessarily, it doesn't mean that they're bad people, but it doesn't mean that they um, really are welcoming, a welcoming environment and inclusive environment for the women in those spaces. So that's an example of kind of what it starts to look like at a, at a more local level. So clearly it's multifaceted and it's pretty complicated, right? I mean, yeah. it, it's very broad and deep. So, so Laura, what are you seeing the impact of all of this conversation being in veterinary practice right now? 
Well, I'm really, I'm, I'm glad that everyone is, is becoming more aware and talking about this. And that's what needs to happen. There needs to be discussion to, because you can't get to that inclusive piece without learning about each other and understanding each other and what those needs are. You know, some of the things that Lisa was describing, you know, those are things that are really important factors for our profession. When you look at the demographic shift that we have seen, we have to look at what it's like for women in this work workforce right now because it's 80% plus that are graduating currently. Um, so it's a really important consideration, but there's also just these um, it, really important inclusive behaviors that aren't about the big policy items in the practice, just how everyone behaves. Can everybody really be themselves? Or is there only going to be a select group of people that seem to have all the power and all the good shifts and all the you know, get all the, the good spots that, that they are, you know, just doing their little thing and not trying to get to know anybody else. And it's just not a welcoming environment where everybody wants to know and understand each other. Um, that sometimes is, I think, the really hard part is how do you figure that out? Because people don't, people don't like to be forced into situations where they have to, you know, not be with their crew or their little uh, clique that they form. Um, but that's how some of those things happen. So I think it's just really key that we think about what does a really inclusive veterinary clinic look like? And the, the, the thing is, it's good for business. Like the better you can make everyone comfortable, happy, you're going to have less turnover, you're going to have engaged associates, the animals are going to get much better care. Everybody's going to be able to show up and do their job. Um, so it's, it's the right thing to do and it's good for business. So all, all the things you just talked about, Laura, are human tendencies to group with people like ourselves. I mean, that just leads to that whole situation, right, of unconscious bias. So how can we, within veterinary practice, and really, I guess, in veterinary medicine as a whole, start raising recognition of what unconscious bias is, and how do we go about changing that in practice when it is such, you know, it's, it's such normal human behavior that you don't even think about? You know, I keep thinking about probably one of the biggest things talking about these demographic shifts is this assumptions, the assumptions that we all make about what, um, because oftentimes in our society, women do take on some of the caretaking roles, but we've got to stop assuming that and making decisions for them um, of what they can and cannot do in the workplace. Ask each person what their such, you know, can you do this? Provide opportunities to everybody. Ask them, give them the opportunities those are really, that's one way I think right now that we need to think about what does bias look like in the, in the veterinary practices. Yeah, I was going to say, absolutely. I mean, I think that there are so many um, potential ex examples and I mean, you know, isolating behavior, exclusion from meetings, right? How, you know, have we ever found, you know, we look at the master calendar and we're like, oh, well, they're, they're having a meeting and it's about that topic and nobody asked me huh, I like, it, it's my project where I knew I have a background in that. And how did I not get invited to that, right? Or those kind of situations where, um, you know, we all know that practices, um, wherever they are, are like, oh, we really like graduates from college X, right? Um, graduates from college Y, they just don't do well here, 
<laughs> right? And so um, there is um, an attribution and confirmation bias there. So, you know, suppose that one person from Y College does get there and they're like, this place kind of sucks. So um, then it becomes a confirmation. You're right. They don't do well here because this place needs some improvement. Um, you know, miss the, the issues around um, gendered task assignments, right? Women are oh, you guys are great at housekeeping. So if you'll just take care of the cleanup in the kitchen, in the staff kitchen, <laughs> you know, where all the mugs are, you know, that kind of stuff really starts chipping away at um, the ability of a practice to create an environment where people will have a high satisfaction rate, right? Um, and working there. And we all know if you have a happy crew, um, things are gonna run smooth, more smoothly the other thing is clients pick up on things when they're not, you know, if, if folks are like, oh, well, I'm just not speaking to Laura this week and like, but let me go get this dog. Like we pick up on that as clients. Um, we do. And, 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 you know, either we end up buying into it or we just take our business elsewhere. And, and I mean, I think that, that in terms of the work relationship within the team, those are just some of the things that I see potentially happening in different practices that I think, um, you know, are rooted in that unconscious bias and things that we've been taught or, you know, all these kinds of things. And I think, I think the other thing that I want to mention, um, Brenda, is that um, unconscious bias is a, um, is a function, is a brain function, right? That it's not, it's not malicious. It's not intended to be bad. You're not a bad person. Um, I had a, I was on a call, you know, earlier today and someone was talking about how, oh, they have to stop and think about such and such because they default into, you know, certain assumptions about maybe working from home. And I just kind of put in the chat, cough, 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 unconscious bias. Right. And so it's not malicious. Um, it's something that we all have to kind of work to combat. It's just a, a function of the brain trying to be efficient. And, and so, you know, part of the issue around dealing with unconscious bias is getting past self-blame and shame um, and just know that like you need to take some time, think about what you're doing before, you know, you say or do something that you will regret. That's a really good point of differentiation, I think, especially as we think about like leveling this up even more than to the topic of discrimination and marginalization, which is clearly not unconscious bias. And, you know, they're, they're lumped in together. This is a really big topic we're talking about here. But so then how do we separately define marginalization? How are we seeing that in the veterinary industry? And then, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw another question in here for you. How do we take steps within the workplace choose to stop that from happening. Uh, Laura, you're in practices a lot. What do you see? Well, you know, I think that sometimes uh, one of the things that happens a lot that I see would be these, there's still those assumptions, but they're, they're ones that we're continually choosing to make, not just whoopsie, you know, um, about whether certain, certain groups of individuals, do they have experiences with pets or not, you know, I've heard, heard that said a lot. Well, of course we're not diverse. You know, it's it just, you know, I think maybe, maybe, maybe this group of people, they just really don't have pets very often. So why would they be interested in veterinary medicine? Completely not true, um, but they're perpetuating that and it's not helpful. 
So some of those behaviors that you will hear, I hate to say more than I would like to admit, you have to, you have to address that too. You can't try to make everything correct and, and comfortable internally and still subject your associates to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think that that what we see in veterinary medicine and, and I tell people all the time, I love this profession, but it's not special. <laughs> like, right. And so and it's not particularly unique in healthcare, and, and And when we look at the literature around healthcare, of course, it's unique in this fact that it's like, OK, everything except for humans. Got it. But you know, things like, oh my goodness, this client has low English proficiency, so I'm going to raise my voice, which absolutely does nothing <laughs> to bridge a language gap. Those assumptions about economic status, right? So the shabbily dressed person comes in, but they are absolutely willing to, you know, go to a specialist and have, you know, a $3,000 MRI, right? And I mean, those kinds of assumptions are things that, that we all make. They're quick, they're, they happen. But in terms of combating them, we have to stop and really you put on that critical thinking brain and really say, hey, um, does this really make sense? Do, does me speaking louder really make me sound like, does it make my English turn into Spanish? It does not, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Um, if more folks of color had pets, right? That kind of like, oh, then they would come to the um, clinic. And I'm like, well, you know, how many examples of things do we need to show you that people of color do have pets? I refer back to Hurricane Katrina and how many people would not evacuate that city because they would not leave their pets behind. And veterinarians, you know, across the south Southeast were like, wow, there's a lot of animals over there. Yes, it was an underserved population. And there's a reason why folks of color sometimes don't come to these clinics because they are not necessarily treated well and so historically in those environments. And again, this is not unique to veterinary medicine. They're not treated well in human healthcare situations. So, you know, we have to be really honest and take some time to think about um, what this means and what it looks like and how can we as a profession bridge the gap. It's not the client's responsibility to figure out how to meet us where we are. It's our responsibility to figure out how to meet the client where they are. So incredibly true. Absolutely. And it's clear that you each have so much passion for this particular topic and that's in incredibly important to each of you. So thank you for taking time to share, you know, what's in your heart and your why. Um, and so to that point, you know, Lisa and, and Laura, where we are, what can we do? What are we doing within the veterinary profession um, to, address, to address it here, right? Because we can't deal with it everywhere in our lives, but we do have some degree of control for the profession we're in. So, you know, what do you see happening that you're especially proud of or that you find encouraging? Well, I think there's been a lot of efforts to provide educational training, which is important. Um, you know, I I've already said how important I think it is that we're having these conversations with each other, but sometimes we're not, we need to learn first and then come to those conversations. Um, you know, don't put the emotional labor also on, on your coworkers to, help you understand everything, do some work and learn. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with Lisa on some other items. We did some training through the AVMA that was provided on three wonderful topics in the subject matter. Um, and th those were made free of charge to everybody this last year 
um, with the recognition that this is a big thing that we really need to be educating everyone. So educate yourself um, and educate others. Once you know better, you do better and then you help others. Absolutely. Training, 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 provide training opportunities. And, and that doesn't have to be costly. There are tons of resources, really good resources that are publicly available. I tell people all the time, Google is free. And so there's some really good stuff out there and be sure to tie that training and those professional development opportunities with acknowledgement and reward. Right. And so, you know, we talk about how we train our pets. Guess what? Use a clicker, (laughs) right? Use a clicker, right? We want to um, make sure that folks um, recognize that they're getting positive reinforcement um, by not only taking the training, but acting on on the training as well. And so it's really important to just make sure that you're recognizing folks so that it's not just the, here's this requirement that I I did, um, you know, that you made me do, you made me do unconscious bias training and diversity training. No, you have an opportunity to do unconscious bias and diversity training. And this is how we reward that here. And that feels like a really great way to wrap up this really tremendous conversation. We could go on for, I think, a, a lot longer, but I really want to say thank you, Dr. Lisa Greenhill, and thank you, Dr. Laura Pletz, for your commitment to the profession and for taking time to join this discussion today. Thank you. Thank you.